Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. We have been uh, breaking down the principles of the kingdom of God and really laying the foundation for the kingdom of God and understanding that uh, the kingdom of God is not just a theme, it's not just a study, it's not just something that we look at from time to time, but it actually is the lens through which every subject, every principle, every scripture, every word, every theme we could ever come up with should be with the lens of the kingdom of God. If you think about lenses, for those of you that wear lenses, I recently got delivered by the power of LASIK from lenses. Uh, But when I wore lenses, corrective lenses, you know, they don't change what is being seen. They just change how you see it. And so when you put the right lens on and it brings things into a sharper image, a clearer image, and that's probably the number one thing that I've learned about in totality, the word of God and the scripture and, you know, what this life is really all about is it helped things that I once saw off to a distance, things that were once blurry, maybe I didn't have full comprehension of or didn't really even know the totality of something. When I put the kingdom lens on it, it just made things so much clearer, so much sharper. It's like, oh, that's what that was about this whole time. That's what that's for. That's why he did that. That's why they did that. That's why this took place. And so I hope that you're gaining some clarity um, through these last few um, weeks, Wednesdays. I think we're on week six now. At least that's what my notes say. And um, we've just been taking time to just break down what is this kingdom. We began with understanding that this is something that Jesus was obsessed with. We're not making it up. We're not placing emphasis somewhere that Jesus didn't place emphasis or God doesn't place emphasis or the word doesn't place emphasis, that it's actually been there the whole time. And when we learn that there are unseen principles and unseen realms that are more real than the things that we see, then we can better understand the purposes and the actions and all the things that took place. And Jesus was so obsessed with this thing that he was willing to die for it. Jesus didn't die because it was prophesied of him that he would die. Jesus didn't die uh, because, you know, before the worlds even were shaped or formed, he went to his father and say, I volunteer to go and be the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the world. He died because of a message. There's a kingdom purpose, but then if you just break it down naturally, he died because there was a message that he would not come off of. There was an announcement he was coming to deliver and coming to bring that he would not fall back on. Even when pressured, we'll take your life if you continue to talk along these lines, he only pushed in harder. We saw that he was standing before an individual that really had the power naturally to kill him or set him free. Stood before Pontius Pilate and he says, so I hear you think you're a king of the Jews, think you're a king. And what does Jesus say? You have spoken rightly. I am a king. That's his one opportunity to back this thing down and say, well, this is getting out of hand. I'm not trying to lose my head over this thing. That's his one moment he pushes in harder. He says, you've spoken rightly. I am a king. And not only that, I'm gonna sound even more delusional. I'm not from this world. My kingdom's not from this world. And if it were, my people would have already taken over your people. I mean, that's not what you wanna say to the guy that's holding your life in the balance. What does this show us? It shows us that Jesus was so intense and so consumed and so obsessed with this kingdom that he was willing to die for it. And we know that and we understand that that was his ultimate purpose. And that this whole kingdom process didn't just begin in a certain place. It has literally been the totality of existence from the beginning. In Genesis chapter one, verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. I'm gonna need them to look like me. I'm gonna need them to function like me. I'm gonna need them to carry my characteristics. I'm going to need them to carry my qualities. I'm gonna need them to be able to do the things that I do because their assignment is let them have dominion. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that creeps on the earth, over all the earth. 
What is this ruling all about if this isn't about a kingdom? You don't rule in religions. Thrones are not in religions. Thrones are in kingdoms. Y'all hear me? Thrones don't belong in religion. If you're a religious person, if we're just coming for the purpose of establishing and uh, of substantiating a religion called Christianity, we don't need to talk about rulership. We don't need to talk about authority. We just need to talk about what do you believe? What's your faith? What do you uh, trust in? What do you rely on? What do you depend on? That's what determines your faith as a religion is concerned. But when you talk about kingdom, I need to know who you submit to. I need to know what your position and assignment and practice is in this kingdom. I mean, this, this is, you'll find a lot of language in the Bible that just does not make any sense if we're only talking about a religion called Christianity. It makes no sense. I showed you one the last time we ministered in Matthew chapter eight. Jesus is confronted by a Roman centurion, right? And the Roman centurion says, I've got a servant at the point of death, but I believe if you speak the word only, you can heal him. For I've recognized something about you. You are also a man under authority as I'm a man under authority, which means you're a man in authority as I'm a man in authority. Now, what are we talking about authority for if we're just talking about a religion? If Jesus is just a religious figure, the head of Christianity, no more than Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, or whatever other heads of religions there are, if that's all he is, then why are we talking about dominion and authority and speak a word only and, my, and, and I've noticed that you're under authority and therefore you're in authority and when, when, when I tell a servant go, he goes and when, he, when I tell him to come, he comes and I've noticed that you got this. Why are we even bringing that up? Why are we saying things like, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Why is that even necessary if this is believe in Jesus, confess your sins, Confess that you're a sinner, and when you die, you'll go to heaven. You don't need keys to the kingdom of heaven if you're just going to heaven. <laughs> Hello? But you need keys to the kingdom if you want to unlock heaven and bring it to the earth. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. All this language makes zero sense if we only believe this is all about a religion. If this is only about being as good of a person as possible, mirroring Jesus to the best of our ability until we decide it's too hard and then die and go be with him anyways and walk on streets of gold and spend the rest of eternity with the Father. None of that, none of, you, you, can, you can remove 90% of the Bible and it would still make sense to that kind of gospel. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? But now if you wanna understand this kingdom principle, you wanna understand the real purposes behind your existence, the real purpose for why the earth is even here in the first place because it's an extension of a spiritual kingdom that God desired to extend his rule from the unseen to the seen, from the spiritual to the natural, from the invisible to the visible and said, I'm gonna create a place that looks just like here, but I'm not gonna rule there. I'm gonna put man on it to rule there just as I rule here. So let them rule, let them have dominion. And Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they didn't just lose access to heaven. In fact, they didn't, they weren't looking for heaven. See, that doesn't make any sense. We get that far and we're like, okay, this isn't working out. Because Adam and Eve weren't wandering around the garden saying, when is Jesus coming through the clouds and taking us on home to be, be in heaven with him? They're only consumed with what? Ruling on the earth taking care of this garden, protecting it and keeping it and tending it, making sure that it is fruitful and multiplying, making sure that anything that is contrary to this kingdom doesn't come in. But of course, they didn't do that. By voluntary transgression, they handed over and forfeited not access to heaven, but a kingdom. And now we have what? A ruler of this world, a God of this world, that he is in charge he has power, he just doesn't have authority. I said he has power, he just doesn't have authority. That means if you have power and you operate without authority, what's that called? It's called illegal. So he's illegally, he's not been authorized other than man forfeiting his right, abdicating the throne, and Satan came and took the spot. 
And so now we've been talking about the ministry of Jesus because we saw that God didn't just decide to just scratch this whole thing, wipe us all out and say, forget that plan. Y'all just come up here and be in heaven. Let's just have a good old time on these gold streets and these mansions. He said, what? I'm gonna put the plan back in place. I'm gonna restore this kingdom and I'm gonna restore my people back in this restored kingdom. And we learned that to restore something means to put it back where it was before it was lost. So if I... If I save mankind and bring them to heaven, I have not restored man. I have to what? Put him back on the earth in a position of royalty, in a position of greatness, in a position of power and authority as Adam and Eve once were. And that's what Jesus came to do. And so we've been looking at this. And today, uh, tonight, I want to focus on the kingdom purpose of the cross. Because this is the one that we have have completely missed. The kingdom purpose of the cross. And this is the thing. If you miss the purpose, then you miss the power. We love our crosses. We love our crosses so much that we've made jewelry out of it. You wear one? There ain't nothing wrong. Don't hide that thing. There's power in the cross. I said there's power in the cross. This isn't for conviction's sake. This isn't like, oh, I'm not supposed to. But why don't we have a tomb necklace? Anybody made a tomb necklace yet? Because he ain't in there anymore. He's risen. I'm going to get started on Easter early, a month early. It's already early as it is. Anybody notice Easter's March 31st? Like before you know it, it's going to be in February. My goodness. I'm used to like middle of April. Let's get past spring break, you know. Nope, March 31st. We're, Jesus is coming out the tomb early this year. <laughs> it's like, we're going to get them all saved real quick. We're going to give you the, the other nine months to live your life right. No, what, there's power in the cross. We need to understand, but we won't rightly understand the power if you don't rightly understand its purpose. And so Jesus died on a cross, didn't he? Uh, Miles Monroe says this in his book, Rediscovering the Kingdom. Miles Monroe says, Jesus's purpose was twofold. So we're obviously, you know by now, you've heard me trample on it long enough. Jesus's ministry and Jesus's assignment was not to come, die on a cross so that you could be saved. So when you die, you go to heaven. We've already removed that, right? You're good. You've already gotten rid of that religious thinking. If you haven't, go ahead because it's much bigger than that. There's nothing wrong with that. You are saved. You believe in Jesus. You are saved. And yes, when you die, you will go to heaven. I'm not taking that out of the equation, but there's much more that's available. And I'm going to show you some much more tonight. He says, Jesus' purpose was twofold. Number one, to proclaim the arrival of God's kingdom to proclaim the arrival, to announce it. What did he say? What was his first words on the, on, in ministry? Matthew 4, 17, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Those are your first words. Anybody understand that's precedent setting. First words and last words are pretty important. And the first thing out, first thing out the gate, repent. Repent what? What does that mean? Change your thinking. Right right out the gate, he says, get rid of all the thinking you got because there's a kingdom coming and it's going to require you to think differently. That's, that's, that's what he said. In, in the plain English, that's what he is identifying. Repent, not boohoo and cry at an altar. Repent, change your thinking because there's a kingdom coming and the way you're thinking will keep you from receiving the kingdom that I'm coming to bring. Repent, change your thinking for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So number one, he came to proclaim the arrival of God's kingdom. Number two, provide entry into the kingdom. Number one, he came to announce it, but what good is it to announce the arrival of a kingdom that no one can get in, (laughs) right? 
What good is that? Hey, I got a kingdom I'm bringing. You guys are off limits. I'm just coming to, you know, stuff it in your face. This is what you lost. No, he came to what? Restore that kingdom and your place in the kingdom. Give you entrance in the kingdom once again. Anybody want entrance into the kingdom? And that's not just entrance into heaven when you die. That's entrance into the kingdom of God here and now. Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. Not in heaven when I get there, but on earth as it is in heaven. Y'all know what as it is means, right? The same as. I've been using that example plenty. If I tell Chris, if I give him $100 and then I say, give to Mr. Ben as I gave to you, and he gives him $95, has he given to him as, he, as I gave to him? No. So when he says, pray, let your will be done, it's like, it's elementary, but I got to get it to sink in. Let your will be done on earth as it is. Is there sickness in heaven? No. no. Anybody broke in heaven? Nope. They're like, what are we going to do with all this gold? I don't know. Pay the streets with it. I mean, just (laughs) surplus, abundance, man. There's no lack up there. Well, you think anybody up there has anxiety issues? Think we're popping pills and putting them in psych wards? No. No, we don't. So he's saying what I am doing up here in this realm Genesis chapter one, you're on the earth, rule that territory as I rule this territory. What The way I rule things here, you rule things there. Now, no, we're not gonna see things in totality. We'll get to this later. We're not gonna see things in totality right now, but there will be a time where heaven will descend back into the earth again. The new Jerusalem, it will happen. Right now, we still have a world in a fallen state ruled by a fallen cherub. Lucifer, Satan, the adversary, the devil is ruling over this territory. And guess what? He's got free reign to do that unless the church, those in authority, do something about it. But if we, look, the, the, the devil is not threatened by your prayer to get to heaven. He's just not threatened by it. And we've, we've even sold that. My goal is to get to heaven and take as many people with me as I can. And the devil's like, good for you. While you live down here, broke, depressed, destroyed, not being a representation of your kingdom, he's not threatened whatsoever. He's just not. No, Jesus came to raise up people that would be a threat to the kingdom of darkness again. Why? How do I know that? Because he says, I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail. Now, any of y'all ever known gates to attack anything? They don't, do they? Gates are a defensive mechanism to keep something out that is on the attack. See, everybody been thinking the devil's been chasing you down. No, he's running from you. You're supposed to be chasing him down. And he's got gates, the gates of hell, will not prevail. That means... You will attack, you'll be on the offense, he'll be on the defense, and he can't keep you out. The first time he mentions the church, he says, you'll be a threat. (laughs) Come on, somebody get excited. He said, you'll be a threat. You will pose a threat to the kingdom. I am raising up a threat to darkness. I'm not raising up people that just stay inside of stained glass buildings singing their kumbayas until I come back and return. In fact, I think we might speed this thing up if we get about that kind of business. But every time a calamity hits, the comment sections light up with believers saying, when are you coming, Jesus? Take us on home, Jesus. When can I get up out of here, Jesus? And Jesus is like, man, I gave you something. I announced the kingdom and then I gave you entrance into this kingdom. You should be doing something about that. Amen. Okay. He also says this, uh, Miles Monroe says this, Jesus' death on the cross was really a means to an end. So where we have made his full assignment, we have fully consumed his assignment in, he came to die on a cross. 
We almost forget that he rose again three days later. We, we're so consumed with the cross portion. And we should be, but we need to put it in its rightful place. It's really a means to an end. Calvary became a cleansing fountain. Anyone who took the plunge into this fountain would become clean from the filth of the living, of living in this world. This cleansing would prepare them for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make some connections tonight that you may have never seen before. Kingdom purpose of the cross. Number one, kingdom purpose of the cross. Number one, to conquer death, hell, and the grave. Number one, to conquer death, hell, and the grave. And I've got a lot of scriptures, so either turn quickly or just write them down and follow on the screen because there's a lot that I want to get to and I want to cover it all tonight. To conquer death, hell, and the grave. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 says, He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Everyone say power. See, we're not denying that darkness has power. It has power. He came to deliver you from that power and conveyed us into the kingdom. That word conveyed was a word that they used back then for when a nation would conquer another nation and take as slaves and transfer them from one nation to the next. You've been transferred out of an evil, dark nation to the kingdom of his son, to, kingdom, to the kingdom of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So we see that there is a power of darkness that has been broken through the cross. And we all know what the cross is, right? This is Jesus's culmination. This is uh, Jesus being murdered, put to death because he rose up uh, and spoke as one that was leading a charge, leading another nation. And they said, this is worthy of death, blaspheming even. In the Jewish uh, nation, it was blasphemy to call yourself equal with God. And did Jesus do that? Yes. And he said he was the son of God. He sure did. And he didn't come off that one either. He didn't try to soften that one either. So he's put to death the cross, but because of this cross, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. Revelations chapter one, verse 18. Revelation chapter one, verse 18. Says, and the living one, I was dead, but look, I am alive forevermore. This is Jesus speaking. If you look in your Bible, it should be in red. I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death in Hades. I hold the keys of death, hell, the grave, the power of hell. He came to conquer this once and for all. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15. I want you to see this in the Amplified. Colossians 2, verse 15, God disarmed the principalities and powers. Everyone say powers. That were ranged against us and made a bold display and public example of them in triumphing over them in him and in it, the cross. Triumph. The cross is a sign of victory, not of loss. It's the most confusing day in the history of Satan, where he thought he was victorious, he quickly learned, I just turned this on myself. The Bible even tells us, if they knew what they were doing, they wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I mean, think about this. Satan is not all-knowing. I love when Pastor Earl ministered and he brought that out. Satan is not all-knowing. He cannot be everywhere at the same time. He does not have the qualities that uh, uh, Jesus has, that God has. I mean, I love when he pointed out that really we only have a few accounts of people that have ever been in, in an encounter or engagement with Satan himself. That's pretty interesting because 
We, we think he's just roaming the earth and he can just be in, he's here and he could be there and he could be at your house and he could be at their house. And No, he doesn't have that power. He is not omnipresent. He's not omniscient and he's not omnipotent. He's not all powerful, all knowing, or can be everywhere at the same time. So he doesn't know. He thinks he's got this thing beat. I've got the son, the only hope for mankind that can redeem them and restore them and deliver them. This is the lamb that has never sinned, the, the lamb that hasn't uh, 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 spotless, stainless. And I've got him. And then Jesus shows up and says, where's the keys? <laughs> Say, excuse me? Say, you just gave me the victory I've been looking for. Through my death, they receive life. And now the problem is, now there's a bunch of Jesuses up there running around. Anyone that believes in this encounter, bunch of Christians, if we want to use the word Christian, let's use it right. You know, the word Christian means Christ-like. It means mini Messiah. It's what it means. Small Jesus. It means there's a bunch of people that look just like that guy that we thought we put to death on the cross. And the devil's like, dude, I just made matters worse. Man, y'all got to see this the way the word says it. Not the way religion tells you. He disarmed the principalities and powers that were ranged against us, made a bold display and public example. One version says he made a mockery. <laughs> I mean, just embarrassed them. You ever watch the game, a sporting event, where, the one, where one team just embarrasses the other and they won't stop? They will not come off. Like, we're up 50 points and we're continuing to run this thing down your throat. Nobody ever wants to be on the losing end of thing, but man, when you're on the winning end, I got anybody in this room on the winning end of this thing? We're cramming this thing down his throat. He has no authority. He has no power. He has been stripped. He's been made a mockery of. 1 John 3, 8. 1 John 3, 8. The end of 1 John 3, 8 says this. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That he, I mean, he's coming through just undoing everything the devil's trying to do. He, he is Satan's biggest nightmare. Undoing it all. Destroying the works of the devil. Number one, the, the kingdom purpose of the cross is to conquer death, hell, and the grave. Number two, number two, the kingdom purpose of the cross is atonement for our sin. Atonement for our sin. Of course, we must acknowledge that man fell, man sinned, and through one man's sin, we have all sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. By one man's offense, we all committed that same offense. Not one of us came into this world righteous. Not one of, the, not one of us came in perfect. Not one of us came in in his family. We all came in not just as sinners, but as enemies of God. Every single one of us. And so through the cross, Jesus said, I'm, while I'm over here conquering death, hell, and the grave, while I'm stripping the enemy of all his power, I'm gonna take care of my people. And all their sins, I'm gonna take away from them as if they had never sinned before. I'm gonna pay the ultimate price. And throughout history up to this point, Old Testament history, sacrifice after sacrifice, lamb after lamb, goat after goat, dove after dove, Incense after incense, altar after altar, not one could accomplish the atonement of sin. But there was one sacrifice that would only need to be paid once. Through that one sacrifice, it would work for all eternity. The atonement of Jesus's life. Hanging on that cross, that flesh beaten so badly we couldn't even recognize it. Hung up there. He took on the death that we deserve so we could take on the life we didn't. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in the Passion Translation. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we might become 
the righteousness of God through our union with him. He takes on our unrighteousness so we can take on his righteousness. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. You know this one, Romans 5 and verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ what? Died for us. That's the cross. While we were still sinners with no guarantee. No guarantee. that we would even accept it. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 in the New Living. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. That death that he took on, that death that we'll celebrate here very soon, his death, his burial, his resurrection, So I don't have to live life on this planet as a sinner any longer. Remove this statement from your verbiage for the rest of your life. I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's the biggest slap in the face to the one that had his hands and feet nailed to wooden beams. You are no longer what he atoned for. You were a sinner. You've been saved by grace. Now you're a kingdom citizen. You were a sinner. You have been saved by grace, not by your works, by his. But you no longer identify by the thing that he freed you from. Don't do that to him. He paid too high of a price. And what did we say a few weeks ago? We want Jesus to get everything he paid for. (laughs) And he didn't go through what he went through so you could live life. Well, I'm just a measly old sinner saved by grace. At least when I die, I'll go to heaven. He's like, that's what you're going to do with my cross? That's what you're going to do with the nails that were in my, that's what you're going to do with the torture I went through. No, no, no. Get everything he paid for. You were a sinner. You've been saved by grace. Why still sin? Well, you can bark like a dog, but don't make you a dog. Huh? So let's work on the flesh side. Let's work on the natural side. He came to redeem you from that, but he took away your unrighteousness and gave you his righteousness. And you didn't work for it. It's called a gift of righteousness. I think the the next passage, nope, I got this further on down. Yeah, in the next one, number three, takes us right to number three. Number two is atonement for our sin. Number three, kingdom purpose of the cross, to make us righteous and put us in right standing. To make us righteous and put us in right standing. Most people would leave that out and just stop with atonement for sin, but that's the problem is if we stop with atonement for sin and we don't uncover the righteousness aspect, you'll still walk around thinking you're unrighteous, unworthy, relating and speaking to and more identify with your flesh than your new nature. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's righteousness. Righteousness literally means to be in right standing with the governing authority. I'll say it again. Righteousness literally means to be in right standing with the governing authority. Give you a simple example. If the speed limit on the road says 45 miles an hour and you're going 55 miles an hour, are you in right standing? You're not. If you're going 43 miles an hour, are you in right standing? Yes. Yes. The speed limit. The speed limit means we're not maxing out beyond that. If I'm under, if I'm 45 or under, I'm in right standing. That's what right standing means. I'm in a rightful place. And in the kingdom of God, he came not just atone for your sin and then let you figure out the rest. He atoned for your sin and said, now I'm gonna give you my perfect righteousness. And it's a gift. You can't work for it. You can't impress me. You can't do all the right things. You can't get it all together. I got it together for you. Amen. So, um, 2 Corinthians 5.21, we already saw it in the Passion. I got it here in the New Living as well. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. This is the kingdom purpose of the cross. 
A lot more. We're only three in. We already got a lot more than die and go to heaven. Romans 5, verse 18, in the Passion. Romans 5, verse 18. In other words, just as condemnation came upon all people through one transgression, so through one righteous act of Jesus' sacrifice, the perfect righteousness that makes us right with God and leads us to a victorious life is now available to all. This is through the cross. Through the cross. Romans 5, verse 1. Romans 5, verse 1, I've got this one in the Amplified on the screen for you. Therefore, since we are justified, what does that mean? It means acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God. Through faith, let us grasp the fact that we have the peace of reconciliation to hold and to enjoy peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. The kingdom purpose of the cross is to conquer death, hell, and the grave. It's atonement for our sin. It makes us righteous and puts us in right standing with the Father. Number four, to restore us to our rightful position in the kingdom of God. To restore us to our rightful position I said rightful position in the kingdom of God. It's very important as believers we discover what belongs to us. I'm not telling you to be entitled, but I am telling you to discover what belongs to you. Otherwise, the enemy is going to talk you out of it the rest of your life. The enemy will whip you in every area where you lack understanding or are ignorant of. You need to know what belongs to you. You need to know who you are. You need to know your rightful position, your rightful place. To restore us to our rightful position in the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 17. Romans 5 verse 17 in the Passion Translation. Death once held us in its grip. And by the blunder of one man, death reigned as king over humanity. But now, how much more are we held in the grip of grace, and here it is, and continue reigning as kings in life? You did not just get access into the kingdom, get atonement for sin, get a a restoration of righteousness to be a lowly servant in the kingdom of God. Not servant in the way we think servant. Because in the Bible and in the kingdom of God, kings are servants. Servant kings. We say king servant, and the Bible says king servant. It's the same thing. But you're a king. I said you're royalty. You have a rightful position. A rightful position. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to impress him. All you got to do is discover it. You will walk in authority to the degree that you discover who you are in Christ. You will walk in your rightful place of authority, your kingdom authority. You will continue reigning as kings in life, enjoying our our regal freedom through the gift of perfect righteousness in the one and only Jesus the Messiah. Ephesians chapter 2 puts it this way. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive, watch this language, together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive, here it is again, together with Christ. And raised us up together. I just read the same verse twice. Uh, Together with, made us alive together with Christ. Verse six, and raised us up together. There's the second one. But here's the third one that's the real kicker. And made us 
sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not, he doesn't just have you sitting because he wants you comfortable. He doesn't just have you sitting because you look tired and want you to just come in and have a nice seat. He has you sitting because the one seated at the right hand of the Father is in a position of authority. There's a purpose behind the sitting. It's to rule. The king always gives power to his right hand. So you've been made alive with Christ. You've been raised up with Christ. And now you're seated with Christ. Where, he, where is he seated? At the right hand of the Father. We've got multiple uh, uh, verses that tell us he's seated at the right hand of the Father. We'll get into this uh, either next week or the week after. So if you're made alive together with Christ, seated together with Christ, raised up together with Christ, that means everything you apply to Jesus, you have to apply to you. You okay? So guess what? If he's over it, you're over it. If he's not subjected to it, you're not subjected to it. What's this mean? You need to know your rightful place. Your rightful position is at the right hand of the Father. Not in the closet, not in the basement, not on the outskirts, not crawling and begging your way into the throne room. You're seated at the right hand of the Father. Know who you are. Know what belongs to you. Know where you live. Know where you experience the life to the fullest. When you understand that you're seated at the right hand of the Father, you'll never beg God for another thing. Because you know your place. My sons don't come in. They, they open up my refrigerator like they own the place. 13 and 3 years old. And they just jerk that thing and rip the doors off. Grabbing everything you can find, making sandwiches and not putting anything back. Why? If it belongs to dad, it belongs to me. It's mine. And we go to the Father, oh, Lord, if it be your will, if you have mercy enough to look down upon such a poor soul. <laughs> Again, Jesus is like cross, nails, blood, life, death. Not so you can beg. I paid a price. I said, I paid the price. Jesus said, I paid the price. You've been raised up. You've been made alive with. You are seated together with me. Amen. Number five, the purpose, the kingdom purpose of the cross. Number five, to bring us back into the family of God to bring us back into the family of God. Romans chapter eight, Romans chapter eight, verse 14. For as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Everyone say adoption. By whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The Holy Spirit is trying to convince you you're a child of Almighty God. That's your father. I said, that's your father. The most perfect father you could ever have. He will not abandon you. He's chosen to adopt you. He went after you when he didn't have to. It said, you're being brought back. You're, bring, you're, you're being brought into the family. And not only that, he gave you a blood transfusion. Traded your blood for his blood. So now when you shed blood, it looks like Jesus's blood. There's a friend of mine, a uh, uh, pastor friend of mine back in Louisiana. His, his son 
uh, had, had cancer and was going through all kinds of treatments, and they had to do this one treatment uh, where they had to, uh, basically, it, it was, you know, a, a full, it wasn't even just the blood transfusion, it was bone or something, bone marrow that was taken from his older brother. His older brother went through this procedure for him. And the doctor told him, he says, he has so much of his DNA in his body now that if he commits a crime, the other one could be falsely accused. And that's what Jesus did for you. Brought you in the family. I said, brought you in the family. That now when you stand before Satan, it could be confused as Jesus. Hello? If you know who you are. I said, if you know who you are. Hallelujah. This is good stuff. Verse 17 goes on. You're children of God, and if children, then heirs. You know what an inheritance is, right? And you know how you have, the only way you can receive someone's inheritance, they have to die. As long as they're alive, it doesn't belong to you. How do you become an heir? Through Jesus's death, the cross. So I'm going to lay my life down so you can have access to everything I have access to. I've got an inheritance waiting for you. Then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. 1 John 4, 4. 1 John 4, 4. Says you are of God, little children, and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You are of God. Of means from. You are of God. You are from God, little children. You are his offspring. And you know what they call children of royalty? Royalty. <laughs> Princes and princesses. Hello? You're born in the family of royalty. That's greatness. You immediately traded your sin nature, your dark nature, your broken nature, your, your enemy nature. You traded it out and you became a child of God. Heirs to everything that God has made available to Jesus belongs to you as well. Operating in full authority, you're in the family. And you overcome them. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. You know, I don't, I don't know why people would not want to believe this. The religious folk would just be like, you know, they just have a problem with so much of this. It's haughty and prideful. It's, it's arrogant of you. No, you know what's prideful? is to look God in the face and say, I don't believe that I am what you say I am. That's pride. That's, I'm going to be humble. I'm going to say, God, if that's what your word says, I receive it. Even if I don't feel like it, even if my, my, my day doesn't reflect that, I just believe I'm a child of God. I just believe I've had, I have access to everything you've given me access to. I just believe. I just choose to believe you at your word. I lay down my pride to think something other, and I just believe what your word says. I'm going to talk about arrogance. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The prodigal son came back and said, I just want to be a lowly servant. Just pay me whatever you're paying your servants. And what did the dad say? He stopped him in mid-conversation. Put the sandals on his feet. Put the robe on his back. Put the ring on his finger. Slay the fatted calf. We're going to celebrate tonight because my son who was gone has now come back home. 
He was lost, but he's found. And he put him back in his sonship. Not a slave, not a servant, a son. A son. You belong in the house. All this you have access to. But I wasted everything he gave me before. That's okay. He's welcomed you back. You've come back. Notice the father didn't go after him. When he came to his senses, and the father would not allow the son to be anything less than a son. And that's you too. The Passion Translation in Galatians chapter four, let's look at this real quick. When the time of fulfillment had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, yet all of this was so that he would redeem and set free those held hostage to the law so that we would receive our freedom and full legal adoption as his children. And so that we would know, and notice that it says full legal adoption, that God's not even breaking his own rules to get you back. He's doing it legally. He's doing it within the parameters he's spoken. He could have easily been God and cut corners and say, you know what, I love him so much, just just come on back to me. But no, something's got to die. Blood's got to be shed for the remission of sins. That's the way he set it up. And so he said, I'm going to hold myself to my own word because I will not go back on my word. I'll do this legally. I love what Roddy says. If you want to get more sons, what do you do? You sow a son. He sowed a son. And when that wheat fell to the ground, he sowed a son because now he has a lot of sons and daughters and family. He did it legally. And so that we would know that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, my true father. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our father has, for we are heirs because of what God has done. This is all because of the cross. This is the kingdom purpose of the cross. I got one more for you, number six. Most people don't even realize this was even part of it. Number six, to give the Holy Spirit entrance and communion with man once again. To give the Holy Spirit entrance and communion with man once again. One of the things that people don't recognize is when man sinned, not only did he lose his identity, lose his purpose, lose uh, uh, his nature, lose uh, all that God had given him, the, the authority and the power to rule over the earth, but he also lost the spirit of God. God breathed into, that word breath is pneuma, same word used for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Breathe into Adam and Eve. The spirit of God went into them. There's no greater way to intimately know someone than that you have their very spirit living inside of you. And God eventually says, I have to remove my spirit from mankind. And there were times, little encounters, that the spirit would come upon Samson, come upon David, come upon Gideon, come upon Deborah, but never fully lived and inhabited himself and dwell within man. Why? Because man was sinful. See, all we talk about is Jesus got rid of our sin. Why? Why? Because he wanted his spirit to reside in you, but the spirit cannot reside with sin. So I've got to get the sin out so I can get the spirit in. And Jesus spoke, and before he went to the cross, he said in John chapter 14, 14, verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Abide. This is language that to them they didn't even think was possible. 
They knew that there were encounters, but they didn't know that the Spirit of God could abide with us. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Why would people resist the indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Why would people resist the coming upon, the empowering of the Holy Spirit? Jesus paid a price so you could receive that Holy Spirit again. Jesus paid a price that the veil was torn, that you got free access again. And we got people that want to be, no, 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 that's that's not for me. Why? He died on the cross, shed blood, gave his life. But you think that the only reason he died on the cross is so that when you die, you go to heaven. You don't see there's multiple purposes for the kingdom, the kingdom purpose for the cross. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. In the New Living reads, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It either says that or it doesn't. He dwells in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. The Passion reads, yes, God raised Jesus to life. And since God's Spirit of resurrection lives in you, He will also raise your dying body to life by the same spirit that breathes life into you. I've said it multiple times. We'll we'll ask these individuals of old, what was it like to slay giants? And what was it like to see walls torn down at a shout? And what was it like to watch enemies fight each other and kill themselves in front of you? And what was it like to, to, to put lions to sleep? What was it like to stand in the midst of a fire and not be burned? And they'll say, what is it like to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you again? <laughs> this has been given to you by the cross. He had to get rid of sin so he could get the spirit inside of you. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This is the kingdom purpose of the cross. This is why we celebrate the cross. This is why, this is what Jesus came to do. Not just to wipe away sin or so that when you die, you get to go to heaven. There's so much more that he's trying to open up to you. And until we understand the kingdom, until we understand the kingdom purpose for it, we can't fully walk in these things. Come on, just lift your hands to heaven and just worship with me. Father, we just thank you. Oh, we honor you for the great privilege, the price that was paid, the blood that was shed, the nails that went into the hands, the the, the stripes on his back, the, the crown of thorns on his head. Father, we yield to the purpose of the cross. We thank you for this great price, the ultimate sacrifice that was given, the, the life of your son. You sent to this earth to give us and restore back our rightful place, that we could uh, have our sins atoned for. We could be made righteous in your eyes and right standing again, that we could have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us once again. Father, we can be brought back into the family. Father, all this through the cross. We worship you. We honor you. We thank you. We praise you for the cross, and we hold it valuable. We treasure it because now we know the purpose of the cross, we can receive the power of the cross. In Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.